The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. The Burgundy Twins. That's their names from now on. That's awesome. Hey, some uh, some in the last few months, uh, I don't know if you guys noticed, but some things have been different this last few months. It's created some questions and issues, and I've had times to talk with you at in-person services, texts, emails that you've sent to me. And so I thought, rather than keep just sending things out there, I thought, people are kind of asking the same questions. What if we just took a few minutes here and answered some of the big questions and, and address a few of the issues that are out there right now? Really what this is, is why we do what we do the way we do it, just to help you understand that. Uh, one of the things, you know, how we're doing is like the whole thing with masks and distancing and not meeting inside, not me doing in-person services inside. Uh, what's going on with that? And here's why we are abiding by what the authorities have asked us to do. It is some um, because they've just asked us to do it. And so we're trying to be obedient and respectful to that, but way bigger than just following the rules is following Jesus's rule and mandate where he says, love God and love each other with everything that you have. And, and we feel like one of the best things we can do is to show care and concern, not just for all those of us who are strong and are vibrant and never going to have a problem with coronavirus, but for the weakest and most vulnerable amongst us. This is exactly what Jesus talks about when he talks about that God leaves the 99 for the one. He's always looking for the most vulnerable, uh, and, and to, to find a way to reach them and help them. So, you know, here's the deal. We've thought, I may be fine, you may be fine, but if we do something where we ga- all gather up together in person and you get exposed to something and you don't even get that sick, but you could inadvertently, unintentionally pass it on to somebody who gets very sick, we don't want to be part of that. And look, I know other churches, other ministries, other organizations are doing things differently. We're not trying to say that we're the right way. We're just telling you this is our way, connecting the dots for you. It's fueled by love and care and concern for the most vulnerable and weak. And I know that as I've talked with some of you, and as I have watched what our authorities have said, where one week it's this and the next month it's that, and it changes. And sometimes it seems like, dude, come on, just give me a break. This seems a little dumb, a little overreaching, a little like, come on. Uh, what about, what about the rights of the majority? What about our rights? What about my rights? And there's certainly some things we should pay attention to with the constitution and all that. We get all that, but I'm just telling you that the way of Jesus transcends the constitution of the United States. As amazing as America is, Jesus is more amazing. Uh, and, and it's fascinating to me that his model and example was he never demanded his own rights and his entitlements. In fact, over and over again, he laid them down for somebody else's benefit. And that really is practicing the way of Jesus. That in some cases, a mask and distancing and not meeting inside. Maybe the only person that's going to help is you. To grow in your faith. (laughs) And learn what it means to sacrifice my rights, my entitlements, my privileges for the benefit of somebody else, even if they're kind of lame. So that's a bit of what's going on right now with the masks. How are we doing? You know, with COVID, when it hit, it was like the white, we were just kind of cruising down the river and all of a sudden, class five, category five rapids went boom. And man, the paddles are flying, getting whacked upside the head, the buckets thrown out of the boat. We lost the the lunch cooler went is is next to the raft. It's crazy. Uh, And it happened all at once. And so people have asked, well, so how's Crosspoint doing in all this? Because people have asked, how's businesses doing? 
How are schools doing? How are kids doing? Lots of different things churches use to measure health. Uh, One of them is attendance and and the numbers of how people gather together. And the truth is, uh, we don't know right now. We we can kind of guess based on who shows up at in-person services, Sundays at 10 o'clock, and who the number of views that we have online gives us some idea, but it doesn't tell us everything. Uh, And so we don't know for sure. And we also know this, that uh, some of you know these stories, that for different reasons, as the whitewater stuff got going, some people jumped out of our boat and jumped into another boat, to another church, and are, are, are doing that right now. And I'm bummed out about that, certainly. But what I'm excited about is they didn't just jump out of the boat into the river and getting the <laughs> snot kicked out of them. They're in another church. And I'm, I wish they would have stayed here. I, I wish they were still here. And who knows? I bet you when things maybe level off, off back again, that I hope a bunch of our friends come back and are part of what we do here. But, but even if they don't, they're, they're, they're in the boat still. They're doing it. And look, at some point you can get all exasperated about, we want to get the people back and we, who's not coming and all that. Look, you're still here. You're still in the boat. Now, some of you are uh, like on the little rope thing, hanging off the edge of the raft and somebody cracked you upside the head with one of the paddles as things were flying around, but you're still here. We're excited about the fact that you're still here, not just here in person, but even in our digital online community. Uh, so excited about that. And speaking of that, man, our communities are, are so great here with our small groups. When this is all set up, man, we had 80 to 90% of our church adults in a small group. And it's been challenging to do that because you can't meet inside. Do you have to meet outside, out, you know, when it's cold and all spread out? The Zoom thing. <laughs> if you bought stock in Zoom in January, uh, you can retire right now. Uh, but uh, I, I get it's been a challenge. But here's what I love about you guys. I love being part of this church. I was so proud because I keep hearing stories. I'll bump into somebody around town or something and they'll talk about somebody in their small group and then mention a name and go, I haven't seen that person in a year, literally a year. I didn't even know if they were still, this happened to me yesterday. Somebody's talking about a couple that's in their group and I thought, man, it's so good to know that you're still here staying connected because look, it's not just about sitting in a church service or watching content online. It's the people we surround ourselves with that make the biggest difference in our life for good or for bad. So way to go on that. Way to stay connected to community because real community happens in circles, not just in rows. And even if it has to be on Zoom right now because we're in a once a century pandemic, we're going to get through this. At some point, things will get back sort of to the way it was. People have also asked about how we're doing financially. And uh, we had all kinds of plans when this thing hit, like all these mental scenarios of what's going to happen with our giving and money and what, what's going to go on there. We had all emergency kind of plans and what we need to do this, if this happens, if that happens. Here's what's amazing. We cut spending and expenses and you guys just kept giving generously. And we didn't have to do this big, huge, heartfelt, gut-wrenching, come on, support us, be part of the mission. You guys just did it. I think some of you probably did it because you recognized intuitively then maybe there's going to be people have to cut back because they've you know left the church or maybe they've uh, they've t- faced cutbacks economically with their businesses. So some of you stepped up and and gave over and above what you're giving. And so man, we're in a great place financially right now. Now because we've lost some people in our church, um, even some of our significant givers, we're starting to feel a bit of that now. And I'm telling you that just to be honest with you about that. We're not at crisis level of having to make massive cutbacks or changes. We've, had, we, we've already done a, a bit of that, a lot of that. 
Here's what I think. Some of you, a lot of you are giving, giving sacrificially, giving generously. Some of you have been giving minimally or not at all. Maybe it's time to step up. Maybe it's time to start just doing something. Maybe God, this is the, the time you're going to discover financial freedom and discover the joy of generosity in the midst of a pandemic where God used this as a spark to help you. If you kept your job and in, in, in your business and all that, uh, jump in there and do that. Move towards not just giving minimally, but giving like tithing, Get moving towards that 10% thing. If you have questions about that, you can talk to me about that. Text me, email me. We'd love to talk to you about that. So what's the plan? That's kind of how we're doing right now. You may have questions about some of that, that I just said, I didn't fill all the gaps in. Uh, uh, email me, steve at gotocrosspoint.com, steve at gotocrosspoint.com. I'll answer your emails personally and, and try to answer any questions about that. But moving ahead, moving forward, what's next? One of the big questions that comes up all the time is, when are we getting it back to doing real church? And my response is, this is real church. We may not be meeting at the church, but we are meeting still as a church outside, uh, out there. And I know it's a little challenging to do things online, but gosh, with technology, we can kind of keep doing that for a while. And man, in Southern California, do you know how crazy it is when you tell people, when I get on community groups and blogs and stuff like that and talk to guys on message boards about the fact, hey, you know what? Just go meet outside. They look at me like I'm crazy. It's January in America. It's freezing cold, blizzard conditions, all kinds of stuff. And we can still meet outside with shade canopies overhead and heaters that we have out there. So we're, we're pretty, uh, pretty exciting about that. Our online community is going to continue to meet. And what we've done, we've recognized here is uh, it, it's a brilliant thought that somebody else said, but I'm taking credit for it now. I've said it often enough now that everybody who's not yet part of our church that we're trying to reach is online. Everybody. So we're going to say, we got to keep raising our game with that. And our tech teams, those people back there right now that are filming this and mixing this and live streaming it and all the things they're doing to make this work, we got to keep raising our game there. But we're not just going to keep raising our game with production value. What we feel like we have to get better at. And, and Jess and Beth and, and, the, and those teams are, are putting together, a, not a system, I don't have the right word for it. But, but what we have to figure out, we have to figure out ways to connect with people online better. Not just have them absorb content and music from us, but feel like they're part of a community out there where people are checking in with them, caring about them, that they're growing in their faith, they're part of groups, all that and more. So we're going to keep doing that. One of the questions that's come up too, not just when are we doing real church again and how's the online thing going, all that, but staffing. Uh, you know, over this last, oh, seven, what, it's been 10 or 11 months now, We've lost some key staff people um, on our team. Obviously, the biggest person we lost, because he just had to, for all kinds of reasons we're not going to go into right now, but just with his life and some challenges, things going on, felt like it was time for him that he needed to move out of his role. Here was Tim James, and we hated that. I was like, ah, oh, it's killing me that Tim had to leave. We understand that. We support it. We're praying for him, encouraging him. Uh, Tim and I have been chatting. He's going to come back here in a bit. He's in a new job that he had to learn in the midst of COVID. We're going to get him back up here to speak here, hoping in the next few uh, weeks. Um, but every time that we would have somebody that would move out of their position uh, from our church into another one, like when Brian did that, we had people in place and people stepped up and stepped into situations. And that kind of happened. At, we've never been here before. 
where there was not a like, boom, instantly next person just boom, steps in there. Um, What happened here as people have stepped out, as Tim stepped out, is that, man, people stepped up. Beth with small groups just said, give me the baton, I'll take it and go. And had to do it right in the middle of COVID and small group, everything, just took it and ran with it is doing an amazing job with her coaches and her teams. And you small group leaders know what a great job she's doing there. Jess stepped up with all kinds of leadership and taking on more responsibility there. And then <laughs> I, call her, I call her our servant warrior, Tambi. Tambi got there and thought, you know what? That whole here, there, everywhere thing, the mission stuff that was Tim was doing, she said, I can't do it all, but I can do something. And man, that girl has been out there just killing it with missions and outreach opportunities here there and everywhere. And I think it's been interesting because in the midst of times when there's a crisis like this, what tends to happen is we, we tend to get real analytical and critical and we start going, what's up with that? What's up with that? What's up with that? You know what we need to start doing too? Not to say what's up with that, but with the people that are stepping up for us here at Crosspoint, uh, parents with your kids, teachers and principals, people where you have jobs and the boss is trying to figure things out. It's so easy to go, what's up with that? What's up with that? What leaders need to hear right now is not just what's up with that. They need to hear a way to go. They need to have somebody go, hey, if you're going to tell me what's up with that, recognize how difficult this is. Recognize the challenge of this and give people some encouragement right now. That'd be so great right now. Um, We've done some things with staffing high school and middle school ministries. We have key interns in place there with Justin uh, and Ryan are are back in there. We're making some, uh, vetting out some people right now with our tech teams to get a key tech person that can oversee that. Uh, and people have asked, though, what about that Tim position, that next associate key pastor, that person who's going to step up and be that other voice that's going to be le- in leadership and, and speaking up here on the stage? Because I know you get it. You go, man, we love you, Steve, but you're not that good. <laughs> we, we need a different voice up there. We need somebody better up there. And that's why we've been bringing other people in here, man. Kevin Pringle has been here with, with us a few times. Um, and then Justin and Byron, guys, right of our own church here, we're going to keep bringing them in, and it's our hope and prayer to get somebody, but people keep saying, just come on, get somebody. And with an associate lead pastor kind of person, we don't just look at what can they do for us? What are they good at? And could they do this, this, and this? Cause you can figure out somebody's skill and competency in about 10 minutes, but it, for a position to have any kind of authority when it comes to leading a church, we have to know two things. We have to know about their chemistry, how they get along with people. Can they lead and work well with people? And then most important thing is character and integrity. And that only happens as you get a chance to observe people over time. So we're not rushing out there quickly and in a panic way to go, we got to get somebody in here. We're vetting some people. We're looking at some people right now, but we're taking our time with that to really make sure we assess not just for competency, but for character and chemistry as well. Um, other things we could be taken about right now. I want us to keep staying great at what we're great at. We've been talking about this too, that lots of churches do lots of things that they're great at. And we have some things we feel like we're pretty good at. What we're great at here at Crosspoint is transformational relationships. It's the idea of connection and community where it says it's okay not to be okay, but Jesus loves us too much to let us stay that way. And we want to be in circles of friendships that are not just people getting together and hanging out, but people that are encouraging each other, loving each other, once in a while giving us a uh in the side or maybe a a kick in the rear end to go, hey, 
We care about you. We love you. Let's work on that. We want to see relationships transform. And here's what I want to see happen. As we move further into 2021, my hope and prayer, I have no prophecy on this today, but I hope and pray that we get to a place this year where it feels like, we're kind of back sort of the way it was. It's not like that anymore. That I hope we get all the way back to that. But here's what I want. I want us to come back stronger when we get back to where everything is. To come back stronger with our families, with my, with my, with my wife, with my, with my husband, with my kids. That I take some time to develop that relationship with them, the time with schooling with them, praying with them, encouraging them, with your small groups, the relationships you form there with your small group, your small group team right now. Beth has been talking to me about this last couple of weeks. I'm going to start doing some things in your small groups to help us come back stronger as small groups and, and being growing stronger in our relationships with each other and some of the things we need to do to catalyze, to, to be sparks and catalysts for spiritual growth. Because here's what I want. No matter what, that we come back stronger, we can look at our lives, I don't know, April, May, June of this year, I hope it's that soon, and we could say, man, as a community of people here at Cross Point Church, the fruit of the Spirit, both the quantity and the quality of love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, and self-control, that those things would have increased, quantity and quality, not decreased. Let's come back stronger. Now, you may have more questions about things that I didn't address here. Steve at gotocrosspoint.com. You can also put those on the connection card that uh, Beth and Jess had you fill out. Get a Bible. Get a note sheet. Download our note sheet or there's a bunch of things you're going to write down today. Get something to write things down on. I'm telling you right now, you're going to want to write stuff down and find the book of Luke. Luke chapter 8. Luke is the third book of what we call the New Testament. Just navigate there in your mobile device or paper Bible. Luke chapter 8. We're in our Jesus is King series. I gave the tattoo challenge last week and somebody went out this week. Look at it. And got the Jesus is King tattoo. We've got a little short film on that. Tell the story of that we'll save that sneak preview as a sneak little teaser thing. Stay tuned for next week on that one. I'm going to pray and we're going to look at this story. Jesus today, we're looking at, at situations and circumstances where you show your authority and God, my prayer today, as we talk about the stuff that can be quite honestly, scary, Satan, demons, the occult, demon possession and oppression, all those things and more. God, my prayer today, first of all, I pray for protection for our church, protection for me, my family. God, I'm not to be naive about this. As we step into this kind of realm and we start to unmask the enemy and expose his tactics and his strategy that I don't want to borrow trouble here. I'm not freaked out by this, God, but I also I want your strength and your boldness and your protection right now. God, my prayer is for every one of us today that we walk out of here with a greater confidence in your power to handle the scariest stuff in our lives. In Jesus' name, because of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago, I ask all this. Amen. Luke chapter 8, the disciples have just got off the boat where Jesus told the storm to shut up and the storm stopped. If you weren't here last week and heard what Kevin talked about, go check that out. It's awesome. 
But the story picks up now. So they arrived in the region of the Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in a cemetery outside the town. The title, uh, one of the things here today on your notes, if you see it, is it's Naked Nate at the Graveyard. Uh, It's a great episode here in the Jesus is King series. Naked dude living in a cemetery outside the town. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. And then he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit, the demon, to come out of him. The spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, what's your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. That's a euphemism probably for hell or some holding place where demons are in prison right now. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission, and then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. We're going to pause right there, take a look here at this idea of what it means, what, what's the deal with demons and, and all this, and, and a bunch of questions are going to come out here. The, the one question I've had for years is, What's the deal with the pigs? Like, dude, just, and Mark tells us it was 2,000 pigs. It wasn't just like a little, mm, 2,000 pigs. <laughs> plunged down the steep hillside and drowned in the lake. My strong suspicion is this. The scriptures do not tell us why. But I wonder if what, what was happening here is Jesus needed the people in that town to know this is not just a mental health issue. This is not a guy who has taken some drugs, some eaten some bad stuff, and it's just a physical, psychological thing. There are real entities and beings, demons, indwelling his mind, soul, and body. Because see, if Jesus just sends the demons away, and you don't know where they went, you just go, well, he just got some therapy. He took some medication, he got on some pills, and he's fine. And we're going to see that sometimes that's how Jesus and, and wants us to deal with some, certain kinds of outlandish, difficult behaviors people are going through. But I wonder if Jesus wanted them to know and us to know that's what was inside that dude. He was going through, the, there's a song in the Alexander Hamilton, the musical, for those of you that watched it, that's called It's Quiet Uptown. And it's a song that says, if you see them walking by themselves, talking to themselves, have pity. They are going through the unimaginable. And folks, there are people in our city today that are like this. And we got to figure out how to help them. Maybe some of you today. We've had people here at our church from time to time over the years that have been dealing with harassment, oppression, possession kinds of stuff with demons, torturous kind of stuff. So we want to help. Have some compassion there. Understand that Satan and demons are real entities and real beings. So there on your note sheet today, I'm going to do, do a quick, what's the story? What's the story about demons? Um, Lucifer, the star of the morning was what his original name was. Lucifer is an evil, destructive name now. That was not at the beginning what it was. In the age of the angels, for the age of man and the, and the universe, 
there were angels there. Lucifer was considered the highest and greatest of all God's creation, but Lucifer led a rebellion because he wasn't satisfied being where he was. And about a third of the angels, we guess, based on some verses in Revelation 12 and Luke chapter 10, a third of the angels were swept out of heaven as punishment for the rebellion, cast down onto planet Earth and into this universe, into our solar system. Satan becomes the prince of demons, the prince of the power of the air. He's called in Matthew 12, 24. Uh, and ultimately, uh, we're, we're told, Jesus tells us in Matthew 25, 41, their ultimate destination is hell. Their mission right now, their mission right now is John 10, 10. Jesus tells us that, that Satan and demons are like thieves and robbers. They're here to steal and kill and destroy. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Hey, wake up. You are in a battle out there. You have an enemy out there who is out there prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone not to nibble and lick and play with, but to devour and destroy. Satan and demons are real. They have tactics. We're going to look at some of their tactics and strategies here. Uh, they have two, there's two kind of classifications of tactics. There's the outrageous tactics and the ordinary. The outrageous is what we get a picture of here. Uh, there's two, two, two things. One of them is, is demon possession. This is rare. Even in Jesus' day, it didn't happen all the time. It feels like it does because there's several stories where they talk about it. It's because it's so crazy and weird, they wrote it down. But it was rare back even in Jesus' day. But even in, in these days, today, there's people who suffer, like Nate there at the cemetery. And what happens is these demonic spiritual beings, they're not seen entities, take up residence in someone's soul, mind, heart, and body. That happens to people. I don't know that I've ever seen this happen specifically to people. I've talked to people who believe that was their story. There's, there's possession. There's also oppression. Oppression is not internal, like they can come and take up residence in your body. A Christian cannot be demon-possessed, but a Christian can be demon-oppressed can have Satan and demons come after them. And just so you know, too, while we're here, never think that Satan is ever tempting you to do anything. Satan is not the opposite of God. He's not omnipresent. He's not coming after you. He's a limited being, one entity. Satan comes after people like Billy Graham. Comes after people like John Piper, like significant people. Comes after the Pope and people like that. He's not coming after you. But there are probably millions of entities of demonic beings that are out there uh, and at times they come after in um, an outrageous kind of uh, scary ways with oppression and harassment. The book of Job tells the story of a time that that happened and Job had no idea. He just thought it was nature and crazy economic times. Turns out it was Satan and demons that were harassing him. And then Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians twelve seven. He says, I was given a messenger of Satan. Something harassing me, something coming. And we don't even know what it was. But demonic in nature, coming external outside of him to harass him. And so when I talk about that, some of you have questions right now. You're thinking, well, what about, what about my nephew? What, what about, hmm, what about me? Because there's been some times I've sent some things and felt some things, and I don't know what's going on here. What, you, and it gets a little unnerving to talk about it. Um, and I can't tell you today what your thing is. 
Because a lot of times we'll see things that specialists who work in this world will tell us that sometimes what looks like demonic possession or oppression is there are mental health issues and challenges that people go through that sometimes look like that. And so you don't know, well, what is this? Is this, is this spiritual and demonic or is it psychological? Is it a physical problem that I have uh, because of my genetics and how, uh, how I'm wired? And, and our deal here at Crosspoint is to say, look, I'm not going to tell you today what yours is. If you have questions about that, you can email me, steve at go to crosspoint.com. We have people here that are prayer warriors that will help you detach from some of this and get this out of you. We believe that Jesus has the power to do that even today. But whenever we deal with something, we feel like, ooh, what's going on there? We, we're going to attack it in the spiritual realm. We're going to pray and we're going to fast. We're going to do what they call like exorcism kinds of prayers to, to identify demons and, and call them out and give them cease and desist orders to leave that person, to go away and leave them alone forever. But we're also going to attack it on, on, a, on a physical level. Like we're going to say, go to the doctor, get some blood work done. Find out if there's some medication that we're going to tell you to go to a counselor for the mental, emotional issues that might be going on there. All those things and more. We're going to attack this from every possible vantage point when it comes to the extraordinary, outrageous, demonic kinds of stuff. But here's the crazy thing. I think most of this is fairly rare when it comes to how Satan and demons really work today. Because I think there's the ordinary demonic, but it doesn't it's not people's heads spinning around. It's not people levitating with weird voices. And that you I mean you can Google the YouTube videos if you want to not sleep tonight, <laughs> and and look at those. But because we see the outrageous stuff, we we miss the ordinary. There's two basic ways that I believe our enemy is coming after us, and we most of the time don't even see it, not even aware that it's demonic or satanic. The first one is condemnation. Condemnation. Satan is called in Revelation 12, verse 7, and Zechariah 3, and other verses in the Bible, the accuser of Christians. Well, what he's doing is, you all sometimes have a sense in your spirit where it won't be just, I'm this or I'm that, but you're, like, you're a joke, dude. You're ridiculous. You're not good enough to ever do this Christian thing. Who do you think you are? And they'll, when you fail and stumble and fall, you must make God sick. God is just done with you. This temptation that you have that keeps tripping you up, why even bother? You can't do it. You're too weak to live this Christian life. Just give up. It's what Ephesians 6, 16 talks about. It says, we need the shield of faith to quench the fiery arrows of the wicked. And when I was a kid growing up, I hear fire is the wicked. I thought, okay, it's, it's Satan. It's going one arrow on fire. And then I saw gladiator. Remember that in Gladiator. When they darkened the sky with fiery arrows. You know what those guys did out there? They didn't walk out there and go. They just went with the shield of faith. <laughs> Cover me. Because they sometimes bombard us like that. It's not just one thought. It like just stays constant. After me, after me, after me. So there's condemnation. But the other barrel of that shotgun that Satan and demons come after us with is deception. I'm going to give you some verses today. They're going to come up here on the screen. I want you to see these. John 8, 44. Jesus is talking to some people. He says, you are of your father, the devil. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of all lies. 
Revelation 12, 9, and the great dragon, Satan, was thrown down. That ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. 2 Corinthians 11, 4 says, watch out. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. See, it's not always just black and white, just obvious lies. Sometimes it's, it's a lie that sounds so good, it sounds like the truth. It's like, here's what Satan does. He'll deceive you. It's not just black and white lies. It's, I heard a guy say it this way, what he's doing all the time is he's showing you the bait and never the hook. See, no fish goes and bites the hook, except dumb fish. Um, a fish only goes over there and bites the hook because there's bait on it. Satan's doing that all the time to deceive you. Go, this is no big deal. You can handle this. Look at this. This is yummy. And for a while you go on that bait and nothing happens to you. And all of a sudden it gets set. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. Second Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. Revelation 20, 20, 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire, will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Satan is a liar, and the father lies. Lies, half lies, quarter lies, 80% truth with 20% evil lies in there, doing all the time. He's going to lie to you about who God is, about who you are, that God's not for you, God's against you, that his rules are dumb and stupid, you couldn't keep them anyway. And, and he's coming like uh, at us all the time. All the time with that kind of stuff. And so... That's kind of the deal with demons. They, he has this double barrel shotgun. And oftentimes what he does is, the double barrel shotgun is he will deceive you. You'll do something stupid and wrong. And then the other barrel shotgun comes with condemnation. Go, just give up, dude. It's not conviction. It's not repentance. It's just stay down. You can't do this. You're stupid. You're ridiculous. You're a joke. Deception and condemnation. So when we talk about that, you go, okay, now I know where the demons are today. Because some people go, where all the demons go? Because I don't know anybody who's ever had the crazy voice or levitation and all that stuff. And we, we, we do make two mistakes. C.S. Lewis talked about this years ago. We either get too ugh, about demons and get all obsessed about them and now see demons everywhere and watch too many horror movies or the, the Twilight series or the Vampire Diaries, all those kind of things. We get all ugh, about the demons and miss the fact they're out there kicking our butts all the time, but they're not showing up obvious ways all the time. So we think they're not there. Kaiser Scholze, am I saying that right? In The Usual Suspects, one of the greatest lines in film ever, who is the personification of evil in the film, says this. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. This is happening in our world today. They're here in the West, in the enlightened West, products in the enlightenment. We go, oh, that's for fantasy. That's stupid. That's lame. And Satan is laughing at us. Lying to us, deceiving us, condemning us. See, the mission of Jesus, you wonder, where did all the demons go? Well, I think in some ways where the extraordinary, outrageous stuff got pushed down was Jesus said, my followers, he says, you all will do greater works than I've done. Now, he's not talking about you, Stephen, you, Evan, you, Aubrey. You're going to do more miracles than Jesus. He was saying, y'all, all of you are going to push back darkness way better than I did because I'm one person with the power of the Holy Spirit. When millions of you do that, man, the darkness is going to go. We're going to take back ter- territory. I think that's why a lot of the demons have had to go underground, covert ops kind of stuff. They're a defeated enemy right now. The little terrorist cells out there spiking up over here and there and do crazy, outrageous, weird stuff. But the crazy thing, again, all the time is deception, is deception and, and condemnation. So you don't need oppression and possession uh, to, to become a victim of the enemy. And see, th- this is what, uh, what, what, what we need to know is that's the deal with Satan, is that he's out there to steal, kill, and destroy, 
primarily through deception and condemnation, that double-barreled shotgun. That's the deal with them. They're real and they're out there wreaking havoc in our lives. So that's the deal with Satan and demons. How to deal with them. Spiritual warfare. We got to go fast. James chapter four, verse seven says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Ephesians chapter six. I'm going to flip over there. You guys can turn there if you want, or just trust me that I'm not making this up. (laughs) Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. He says this, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. You know what Paul's telling us right now? Armor up and resist. He's going, look, dude, this ain't a cruise ship, it's a battleship. And the reason you're out there getting your butt kicked by Satan and demons and lies and deception is because you're sitting out there on the battleship on a deck chair with your bathrobe on instead of having armor on. And you wonder, how come I keep getting my butt kicked by Satan and demons and evil and oppression? How come I keep getting sucked down into, spiral down into depression and darkness because I keep messing up? It's because you don't recognize, you're not putting the armor on. And it's fascinating what Paul says here. He says, what you want us to do is put the armor on? Start off with the belt of truth. You know what he starts with the belt of truth? Because lying is Satan's primary tactic. He's put on the body armor of God's righteousness. You know why? Because that's the condemnation. Look, I don't stand in my own righteousness. I stand in Jesus' righteousness for me. He says, for shoes put on peace. There's conflict out there. Don't make your first impulse to go out there and go, bam, and crush people. But put on peace to resolve conflict and slow things down. He says, put on salvation as your helmet. And then he says, what Justin Swanee told us a few weeks ago. Go look at that talk in our Jesus is King series. Man, he did such a great job saying, man, use your sword, not your emotions or your willpower. And you're in a battle out there. If you're trying to do this on your own, it's like, it's like the arrows are coming down at you and you're taking your shield and putting it over here and go, I want to see if I can duck and dodge. <laughs> you're getting killed out there. Battle, uh, armor up. Put on the whole armor of God. And then he goes after he, uh, in Ephesians here, after he talks about take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, he says, pray. He says, pray in the spirit all times, all occasions. Jesus is going to tell us that's the, one of the, the other way to deal with demons is prayer. Jesus makes it very clear that one of the best things you can do is have communications with the, with the commander in chief to bring resources to bear, to bring power and help to bear in situations when you're feeling overwhelmed by it. In fact, Jesus is going to tell us, Matthew 17, 21, some things are only dealt with by prayer and fasting. He says, some of this is not going to happen by you just sitting down and, and just trying to read your Bible and just trying to help somebody and put your arm around their shoulder. Sometimes the best thing you can do is get quiet, close the door, stay up late at night, get up early, and just call out to God in desperation saying, God, we need your help here. Quite honestly, that's where I'm at right now for our church in all kinds of ways. To move beyond just trying to be cutting edge and cool and relevant. <laughs> And say, God, we just need your help. This world has been turned upside down. And then 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, Don't panic. The one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Talking about Satan and demons. He says, look, here's what happens. We sometimes, because we've watched too many videos 
or we've heard about the stories of like the occult and things like that, we get all uh, about Satan and demons. Do you recognize Cross Point Church today that you have the, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit within you who is infinitely more powerful and scary than any demon that's going to come to you, no matter how crazy scary they are, infinitely more powerful. You ought to be a little scared about the fact of who you have in you. And not the demons that could get in you. You have the Holy Spirit in you. And today as we were praying, somebody in the prayer time said this. Tara said this. She said, look, we don't work for victory. We work from victory. That we don't have to win the battle. The battle's been won. We walk out there in the battlefield with our armor on, with the commander-in-chief at our side, with the sword of the Spirit and prayer to step into our authority. See, the one who's in you is greater than the one who's in the world. You're not greater. For you to go out there and try to fight this thing on your own is ridiculous. You're going to get killed out there. Go in the power of God and recognize the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're not yet a Christian today, that's what happens when you become a Christian is you confess your sins to God. You say, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin in my place. I'm turning my life over to him. And Jesus says, when that happens, God's spirit now comes in and rebirths you, reborns you. You're born again. Your slate is clean. And now you have the power not to just suck it up and try to change from the outside and try to, by willpower or emotions or inspiration, change. He says, from the inside, he gives the power to deal with temptation and sin and the stuff of your past, whatever that might be. We'd love to talk to you about what that means to become a Christian. You can text us uh, to that uh, 77411 number. Just text prayer there. Somebody will meet you there and talk to you about that. You can put it on your connection card today as well. So, we have this story here of na- uh, naked Nate at the cemetery, at the graveyard. Jesus just cast all the demons out. They've all gone to the pigs. There's 2,000 pigs laying there in the water. Don't you want to know how the story ends? You want us to be done now? No, we want to find out how it ends. When the herd, verse 34, when the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. Now look at the contrast here. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, not running around like a crazy man anymore, sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed, not naked, perfectly sane, not saying and cutting and breaking chains and doing all that stuff, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed, and all the people in the region of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone, for a great wave of fear swept over them. Write some things down here today as we wrap this up. As we wrap up the story here, Jesus is often the scariest dude in the room. We saw that last week. It says the disciples were terrified of the storm. And then Jesus goes, storm, be quiet. And they go, oh, who is this guy? Terrified of this naked dude that that nobody has any power. He can break chains. And Jesus just tells the guy, demons, leave him. They see this thing happen. And there he is, not after years of therapy, not after all kinds of medication. And look, there might be times to do those things. I don't want to shame anybody for any of that today. But I'm telling you, and there's some cases where God just steps into things and goes, no, we're done. Boom, over. And that's scary to have that kind of authority over the most terrifying things in our life. But in some points, that's just good news, isn't it? Don't you want Jesus to be scary for you once in a while? To deal with the scary stuff of your life? If Jesus is just nice and meek and just patting you on the head and being like your Uncle Joe or whoever, like, that doesn't help you at all. I need Jesus to deal with stuff from time to time. 
I think they told him to go away and leave him alone because whoever owned the pig business there (laughs) went, man, that just messed up my bottom line. So the second thing to write down here as we wrap this up is Jesus is sometimes bad for your bottom line. I'm going to tell you right now, if it means that your bottom line has to suffer for Jesus to find one person, rescue them out of darkness, he's going to do it every time. He may, it may mean you have a bad month or a bad year. Every time he's going to do it because he cares about those people. Says so they beg him to go away and leave him alone. I'm thinking Jesus has the power to go 2,000 pigs down in the water. I'm thinking there's a few people might be in there. If I'm Jesus, <laughs> we're going to just drive some of those fools in the water. They told me to go away and leave him alone. Look what Jesus does. So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. Jesus always respects our decisions. He says, you don't want me? He says, I'll leave. Now you're going to deal with the consequences of that. But if you don't want me, Jesus is never going to force himself on you. He will respect your decision. The man who had been freed from the demons, begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him home saying, no, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went all through the town proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. The last thing to write down today as our band comes up now is this. The thing we need all the time here is that Jesus needs our story. And look, your story, you might have an outrageous story like naked Ned at the graveyard. Your story might be a very simple one. You raised in a Christian family and at some point in third or fourth or fifth grade, you came to a place of trusting God and Jesus took over your life. Look, know what your story is and be able to tell it to people when people ask. When you're having coffee with somebody, when you're bumping to somebody at line at a fast food place, when you're, I don't know, whatever you're doing, know what your story is. This week, uh, the last question there on the intersect part of the note sheet talks about that. Talks about telling your story and finding a way so here's what my life was. Here's how I, Jesus became real to me. However, whenever that happened, and then here's what happened to me after that. Just tell the amazing things God has done for you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.